the thing we've always loved about City Church International back in the day and City Church Garland is that there's just um, a high density of mature believers who really want to pursue after God. And it's it's a place where it's like hard to not like pursue after God because people make it uncomfortable for you. Uh, and that's that's a great, a great, I think, testimony for, for this church. And so, um, yeah, we're definitely grateful for, for all of you. But and actually, so we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 20. Just, we're going to read it all the way through to start off with. If y'all, if y'all would, could y'all stand with me? And we're going to read it together. Um, it's not too long. And I'm reading, I'm reading an ESV now, PS, uh, depending on what you're reading. But I'm going to also go into NIV some because I think different versions kind of bring out different aspects of, of the, the Scripture. So we're reading this in ESV. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. We're going to look at a passage that I think um, gets to a really significant aspect sorry, um, aspect of our discipleship. Um, and we're going to see a church that is involved... Oh, and, and P.S., just before I get into that, if you didn't, you couldn't tell from the scripture, there's some like adult themes in this passage. Uh, so just a little like forewarning there about what's happening this morning. Okay, so uh, yeah, so we're going to see a church that is in significant error, but it's not because they have false teachings. Again, we see a, a church that's in significant error, but not because of false teachings, but because they have misplaced loves, right? Um, again, they're a church that is in error, not because they have false teaching, but because they've had misplaced loves. And I think they have conformed to their culture. Their loves have conformed to, the, to their culture. The things their culture has like raised them to love, right? Um, and uh, I hope as a church this morning we'll see how in some ways we are very like them, right? But also be encouraged to set our love on Christ and his ways and to grow in discipleship and in intimacy with Jesus. And so I, I think this passage is all about discipleship. Um, so let's just jump right in. Uh, this first, first verse is the NIV. It says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So this is kind of weird stuff. So let's, let's, let's step back, get a little context. So we already know this passage is in large part about prostitution, right? Um, so the city of Corinth was known for um, it's this major temple that it had, and that that temple specifically was associated with like a sex cult, essentially like prostitution, right? That was a big part of of 
of the Corinthian like kind of culture that was going on. They're actually like so much so that there was a word in ancient, like the Greco-Roman world that was, the word was Corinthianize. And the word Corinthianize meant to like live a licentious, like sexual life. Like people like, oh, he's, he's Corinthianizing over there. You know, like that, that, that was a word that was said, right? Um, that's how common this was, right? And, and remember, first Corinthians was one of the very first books written in the New Testament, one of the earliest books. So the people in this church, it is unlikely, almost certain, that none of them were born into like a Christian family and always like raised in a Christian culture. This is the context that they were born in, right? This is normal. This is the standard, right? And so, um, so yeah, but the, the structure of this verse is, can feel a little bit weird, right? It's like, what, what is happening? I have the right to anything you say. Who, who you, it seems like he's talking to himself. So nearly every single commentator agrees that there's this kind of like argument that Paul is having with the Corinthians and that there are words that he has said in the past that they are using to justify prostitution. So they're saying, so at one point he was teaching them and he said, you have the right to do anything as believers, right? And now they're saying, well, we have the right to do anything so we can go and engage in prostitution, right? Okay. And then again, they were, he says, so, but Paul is responding to that. And, and before we get into all the theology like of this, I just want to take a second. Um, this is something that I was just kind of like reflecting on and it impacted me. And so I wanted to share it is that, um, before we go too far, let's just look at Paul's response here right? These are people, this is the culture that they've lived in their whole lives. And Paul's response to them, and and what I think most of us would probably um, agree with it, it's like a fairly serious sin of like engaging in prostitution. His response is one of like, I want to teach and disciple you in this moment, right? And and I think it reflects um, like Christ's attitude towards us in the midst of our brokenness, right? That Christ is willing to identify with us still, to say, you're still part of my group, even in the midst of us doing some really wacky stuff, right? And, and, and even beyond that, like anyone here who is, who's married or has been married or has been in a serious relationship, you know, that working through stuff is very difficult, grueling work, Right? to work through hard issues. It is a slog, right? The other day, me and Karis got into an argument. Like, it wasn't even like halfway through like a, uh, an hour-long argument where like we even realized our own hearts in the midst of it. Because like our own hearts are deceptive and then we're dealing with another person and working through issues is hard. But this shows that Paul, and I believe it's like a, a, he's an example of Christ here. Christ is willing to do the grueling work with us to get through whatever we've been through. Right, and I just love that. That's his attitude. He's not casting them out. He's not saying, "Oh man, this is going to be so difficult to work through." He's like embracing that, right? And so, first off, I just I just love Paul's attitude and like being willing to do the hard stuff, right? And I think again, it reflects Christ. But um, beyond that, let's look at Paul's specific response. I love he gives us these two kind of like guardrails in some way when we're looking at at like our actions. He gives us these two things. So he says, one, right, uh, is it beneficial? Did I go to the next slide, maybe? can't remember. Uh, so one, he says, oh, oh, yeah, can you go to the next slide? Sorry, I'm going to back up like 30 seconds. Um, so uh, as I said, like, we think they're actually quoting Paul. And almost everybody, and he said a lot of things that are very similar to that, like, 
Um, you know, don't be like in Galatians one, he said before, um, it's for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Right. In Romans eight, he says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the law. And, 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 you know, it's, we'll, we'll see in a second, specifically talking about like food sacrifice to idols, right? There, we're almost certain that they're quoting Paul back to Paul. And just, just as a teacher, like, this happens all the time. You, like, talk for, like, ten minutes, and then kids remember just one tiny little thing you said and take it way out of context, right? I can just see Paul being like, I knew you were sleeping in the back, right? I knew it. I knew you just listened to that one thing, right? I, I like, feel his pain, right? Because cause they're, they're quoting him. Um, you can go to the next slide for me. Um, so he asks these two questions. He says, is it beneficial, and am I being mastered by it? And I really really like these questions. Um, one, because I think they're really practical. Like there's these kind of like guardrails for us and in, in, in our actions and our habits that we, we, we take part in regularly. But not only, not only are they just like good to kind of like measuring sticks, but these, these questions in and of themselves are formative, right? They are in and of themselves discipling. Because when you ask the question, is it beneficial? It begs another question. Well, beneficial for what? Right? And so you get down to the heart very quickly, Paul is saying, what is it that you really, you really want? What, what really matters to you, right? And, and in the answering of the question, you are forming your theology and you're like realizing what your understanding of God and reality is, right? And so as he asks these questions, I think that that's, that's part of what he's doing, right? Um, so, and again, remember, we're, I'm, I'm trying to keep us to the tethered. So remember that the, the Corinthians, I think they're, they're an error, not because of false teaching, because they're taking Paul's teaching, right? They're an error because they're misplaced loves, right? And I want to, I want to try to build on that a little bit. So I'm going to kind of like, um, get off this text for just a second. Um, so one, so there was once a fish, an old, old fish, and he was swimming down the river. And as he swam, he saw two young fish and he said, Morning, boys. The, the water's beautiful this morning. And they just kind of looked at him funny, and they kept on swimming. And, uh, and he would keep on going over, and as they swim, they say, what's water, right? Um, and some, sometimes there are times where we are in the midst of stuff, and we don't even realize it, right? And here, the Corinthians, they're in the midst of this, like, over-sexualized culture, right? And they don't realize it. But, like, we're in the midst of the same thing, Right? Uh, and, and we have lots of things we don't realize because we're just in the midst of this culture. And, and one thing that as I was reading, I, I, I was kind of convicted by and wanted to share with us is, um, is our, our understanding of discipleship and learning like foundationally. And so um, in the past few hundred years, our culture has increasingly come to see the mind, like rationality as the center of humans, Right. The, the, the only trustworthy part of humans is really our, our, our reason, our rationality. Like emotions can't be trusted. They really just flow out of the mind anyways. The will, that's just something that kind of comes out of what you think. We are th- primarily thinking things. We are brains on a stick. The body's just there as a house for our brain. That's kind of thought, I mean, phrases like I think, therefore I am by Rene Descartes, right? Um, the, these are, are some of the basis for this. Like we have the scientific revolution that, that's kind of like led us to this and, um, and I think that that sometimes that that form of thinking has spread into the church, not not in the sense that well, in in, in our particular discipleship, when when we are wanting to um, to grow in the Lord, we think that 
the, the main thing would be study, right? Which study is great, right? But we, we think that study is the primary thing. Or when we're discipling kids or maybe, maybe discipling in church, we think if we just like preach at them enough, if we just throw enough theology, they'll become mature believers, right? And, and I don't think that discipleship is less than knowledge, but I do think it's much more. It's more than knowledge, right? Um, because here he's asking him, what, what is it that you really love? That our hearts, like the things that we love are another really significant aspect of that. that some things we can like forget about, right? If you can go to the next slide. Um, the ancients knew this, right? Oh, it's cut off a little bit. Um, so this, this is, this is, people always thought this biblically. And there's not like scriptures in the Bible that specifically say love is really important. Um, it's something that's formative to us because that's just something they assumed. But these, I think these scriptures kind of show it that there, there are other things that come before knowledge. In, in John eight thirty one, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really to my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When, when will you have knowledge? After, after submitting, right? After holding to his teachings. There is something that brings knowledge, right? Um, in, in Philippians 1, 9 through 10, it says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able, be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You can read over that quickly, right? And, and get the order wrong. What, what comes first in that? Your love would abound so that you can discern, right? And, and there is knowledge that, that there, it's kind of like there's this mix of knowledge and insight with love, but you can't have discernment, right, without the knowledge and this, like, this love of the things of God, right? And then ancient Proverbs 4.23, he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, right? That, that the things we love influence us, right, dramatically, right? If you can go to the next slide, I think. Um, so James K.A. Smith, he, he um, it's a book that I recently read, he says, you are what you love. He said, Jesus' commands to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with him, to want what God wants, to desire what, God's desire, what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God, right? This idea that like part of becoming a disciple is not just knowing like truth about God, not even, and knowing God is also like right in there, but also loving the things that God loves. He wants us to be transformed, right? That's a significant part of our discipleship. Um, if you can go to the next slide, another quote, um, Martin Luther, um, said, uh, something too. Uh, he said, whatever your heart, thank you. Appreciate it, John. Uh, whatever your heart clings to and confines in that is really your God, Right? Um, and the author of this, that, the, the, that James K. Smith, he said that your love is the very central part of you and knowledge is kind of secondary. I think they're both kind of like weaved in. You can't have knowledge without love and you can't, they're kind of, but they I think love is something that we sometimes can neglect, right? A particular discipleship. I'm going to go to the next slide. Um, so, uh, getting off track here. Um, so we have these examples, like these, these quotes, these, these biblical examples potentially, but we've, all, we've experienced this in our lives, right? We have heard people come up and preach, and we're just like, oh, man, that is so good. And like within a week, we're thinking about other stuff we've completely forgotten. Like it's, it's, it's funny. Every now and then there will be like a scripture. I'm like, oh, that, that, that sermon was so good. But a few days ago, like I want to tell something about it. Like I don't even remember what it was about, right? Uh, because, because my heart like just didn't like 
connect with that thing for whatever reason, right? Um, and then we also know on the other side, there's oftentimes people who they know every single answer, but they don't love God. And so there's, there's, there's a total disconnect there, right? Um, a couple, a couple other kind of practical examples that are, that are similar. Uh, so if you couldn't tell, I'm not a guy who works out a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a little while since I've, I've uh, hit the irons. Uh, but, um, and I, I always believed when people said they liked working out, I was like, that's a lie. No one can like working out because it is like so tedious. It's like literally hurting your muscles. When you build muscle, you're like ripping the muscles. What is fun about that? Uh, and, but like, um, I, I've, I've seen it enough and, and, and I, I, that there are times where people, maybe they even start off not liking it because they want to lose weight or they're trying to impress someone or something like that. But like where they, where people actually come to really love like running or working out, which are kind of by definition torture, right? They really come to love it where one day they like don't do it. And they're like, oh man, I really miss that, right? Whereas before it was something that they actually didn't like to do, right? Recently, I, I, over the last few months, I've been, I I don't know. I I kind of realized that I'll like watch shows in the evenings a lot when my kids go to bed because I'm like, oh my kids, they just wear me out. And I'll just like turn on shows. And one day I was like, I don't actually like, after a show finishes, I don't feel better. I kind of like feel maybe the same, maybe worse, right? And I was like, I want to like, and I kind of made a list of like the things that I do that really like kind of awaken me up to God. So I was like, I'm going to try doing those. Maybe I like watch a show one night a week or something. Just try to try to like, just try something new. And I found like at first, like my mind was like going back to this. And I was like, oh, reading a book, going on a walk, talking with my family, ugh, right? Uh, but, <laughs> sorry, not, not really. My wife's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, or, or calling an old friend or something. Like, at first, I was, it kind of felt like, like a chore. But as I continued doing it, now, like, I'm like, ugh, TV, that's lame. I want to, like, go read this book. I read through the Chronicles of Narnia recently. I've read a couple other books. And, man, it just feels, it's just like I, my heart has, like, shifted right? But there's something about like knowing that something is good, but then when you really love it, you like want that thing, right? Um, another way that um, this, this one book put it is he said, you know, this, this question of what do, you, what do you really want? He said, what is your vision of the good life? Okay. What is your vision of the good life? When you think about what the good life looks like, are you thinking about like sitting on a beach, sipping a, sipping a margarita or something? Because like Jesus's idea of the good life was pouring out his life, speaking to people all day, people coming to him at night, right? Even whenever he was really tired, eventually him waking up more early in the morning, going off to pray, and then later being crucified. That was his like the idea of the best life, right? Paul's idea of the good life is like, hey, I don't want to die because I want to keep on preaching the gospel. I'm going to work making tents all day so that at night I can go and preach. That is his understanding of what like the best possible life. His, his loves had been transformed and they, they fueled what he did, right? Um, and I think, I think a lot of us, our vision of the good life, our like aim in life, our, our understanding of what we really want, it's like 60% Jesus, right? 60% we really believe that Jesus like exhibited this good life and we want to live that life. But then it's also like 20% we want to be like, good looking and cool. 20% like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. It's got like 10%. I want to be like smart and knowledgeable. 10% Einstein or something. It's 10% my neighbor who's really funny and everybody laughs at all the time. Some percent of it 
Could be like, oh, that I provide a stable life for my family. Could be um, something like, what did I write down? Uh, something like, oh, that I'm really unique. I'm distinct from everybody else. I, I'm, I'm different. Something like, I'm a really thoughtful person. Something like, oh, I don't, I don't waste time. I'm like efficient with my time and my money. I'm a good steward. And all these things, they're not necessarily bad, but they are things that master us, right? And they're things that take away that, that really aren't ultimately beneficial. Anything that is up there with God, right? And, and, and it's not bad to want to be like, to provide for your families. And it's not bad to want to be like knowledgeable about something, right? But those things at some point will conflict with our love for God and, and following his commands, right? Um, I'm going to give us one more that's like maybe maybe too close to home, but I'm going to do it anyways. Okay. Keith Dollar is a hard guy to be around, right? Not, not because he is someone who we don't like love, someone who's not gracious and kind. Keith Dollar is hard to be around because he freaking loves Jesus so much. He makes you realize how much you don't, right? Like you are around him for a while, right? And like you leave and you're making excuses for yourself, Right? Um, and man, what a great example for us. Right? What a great example. And so, so it just went on to Keith. But also, like, it, it reveals our vision of the good life. It reveals what we really want. Right? When we're around people who are sold out for God. Right? Um, and so, I, I, and given, I don't, I don't want to condemn us. Like, God doesn't call you to be Keith Dollar. God calls you to be you. Right? And he has, like, a specific vision for your life. So I'm not saying you have to look exactly like someone else, but I do just want to challenge us, right? Um, like to, I want to challenge us to like really try to consider, right? Asking God to reveal, maybe we've taken some of the world's definition of like, what is good? Some of the world's definitions for like what we really want in life, just like the Corinthians. Okay. Sorry. I went off really, really long there. Um, Sorry. Uh, but um, so, and remember the other side of loving things is, is this like being mastered by them, right? So he's got though, is it beneficial? And am I being mastered? In John 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Remember, these like the most holy people, maybe like in history, right? Or holy, right? Um, and uh, he says, whoever sins is a slave to sin, right? Um, and he goes on and he tells them like, you know, if you were like Abraham's children, if you were people who really followed God, you would listen to me, right? But you are children of your father, right? That's the thing they really love, right? You're children of your father. And, and, and so there, there are things that can, that can master us, right? Most of us, when we think about the things we do, we think we are choosing them. But at some point, those things are choosing and shaping us. And they are well worth considering the, the daily routines I go through, the habits I go through, how are they, how are they influencing me? Are they, are they leading me towards more love for Christ? Right, um, and so so and yeah. Um, one one thing I really like the so the Amish, like most people think the Amish don't use any technology, right? That's not true. I mean, taking like fire is a technology, so they use some technology, right? But there's there's certain groups of the Amish. It's not that they don't use technology at all. They're just really 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 late adopters of technology. What they do is they let technology come out, and they just watch how it influences culture. Sometimes for like a hundred years, right? They just watch and they see its its impact. Most Amish use like tractors, 
I mean, technically, even a horse and a plow. Even if he's like, that, technically, that's technology, right? It's just kind of old school technology, right? Most of them use tractors, but a lot of them don't use cars because they think they see that cars isolate us from our communities and they 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 breed individualism, right? That people are always focused on themselves because now they can leave and do what they want, right? Um, most there, there's there's quite a few Amish families that have phones in their home, but I don't know of any Amish who have smartphones. Right, because they have seen. Sorry, no, so we're going to be collecting all of your smartphones and throwing them away after the service. No, uh, well, I, I'm saying I think it is it is worth. They're, they're on to something, right? Can we at least admit that? We don't. I think most of us would be like, no, not my phone, right? But uh, we can at least admit that they're on to something, right? That the things that we are t- like taking part in every day they influence us. It's not just us like looking at them blankly. They all influence us. And so, and that's what he's saying here. Are, are these, these Corinthians, are you being mastered? Right? I mean, ultimately his implication is the answer is yes. Right? Um, let, let's, let's continue the next section. Um, so in, oh, hey, that's what I already talked about. Sorry. Uh, so in, in 13, I'll read 13 through 17. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your, mem- your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay, so let's, let's first... Sorry, let me back up one. My bad. Thanks. In uh, 13, let's just look at that for a second. This is another one of those, something Paul said to them, and they're using it as an excuse to engage in prostitution, right? And he responds to it. So they say, well, food's meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, right? Anybody have a guess what he's probably talking about whenever Paul first told them that? Yeah, like food sacrificed to idols. He talks about that in other places. He says, it's, idols are nothing, so eat the food. Right, unless it, it could hurt someone's conscience, right? But he's probably said, "Foods for the stomach and stomach for food." Don't worry about if it's been like sacrificed to an idol, because those aren't even real. Just eat the food, right? That's probably what he's saying. But they notice, like they, the, the the Corinthians, they never actually say the word prostitution. I think it's because they secretly know that like it's a little sketchy, so they use these euphemisms of like everything's permissible, food for the stomach, right? Uh, because they're really actually embarrassed. You know, sometimes. You don't realize something is actually bad until you say it out loud, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that was really bad, right? Uh, I kind of wonder if that's what's happening to them, right? They're just, they just choose not to say it because they can say those are things that make themselves feel better. But um, I, like, I like this because essentially it reveals their culture's understanding of sex. They have a very, very low view of sex. They say sex, it is just an appetite. It's just something, it's, it's just a physical thing that you just go, you get done, and you move on with your life, right? That's their view of sex, right? And he's saying, no, there is something spiritual that happens in sex, right? Um, he says, the two become one flesh. This is something, he's going back to Genesis, the very beginning, saying there is something mysterious that goes on, right, in sex. Anyone? Uh, yeah, so, um, but in, in <laughs> okay, stand track, stand track, Brian. Uh, so, um, so, and, and so much so that one, one commentator, William Barclay, he said that the physical relationship between the sexes, it is, it is so precious that indiscriminate use of it can spoil it, right? It's something that is so precious because 
Here, here in, in chapter 6, he's addressing the culture. But in chapter 7, we're not going to go into it today, but in chapter 7, it's obvious that there's people in the church culture, right, that say sex is gross and ugly, and even, even married people shouldn't, shouldn't have sex, right? And, and Paul, like, takes this, like, this middle ground between these two positions. He's saying sex is not low and unimportant. It's not just a craving, nor is it, is it gross and ugly. It is something beautiful, and it's precious, Right. And and because because then in chapter seven, he tells don't don't deprive each other. Right. If you're struggling, if you're if you're struggling with 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 lust, then get married. Like he's not saying don't do it. It's, it's a beautiful and good thing, but it actually matters. If you can go to the, the next slide. Um, so Eugene Peterson, that's who that is. I guess it got cut off my bad. Um, it says, since we want to become spiritually one with a master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one, right? Um, and then the next, next slide, <clears throat> Tim Keller said, physical union doesn't just mirror spiritual union. It introduces and brings some kind of spiritual union itself. It is a monstrosity to try to separate physical and spiritual union, right? Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, and, and again, a little more context in the Greco-Roman world. Like, people got married in the Greco-Roman world, but marriage was not for intimacy, nor was it for commitment. Ah, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't for commitment because people were not monogamous. They didn't have one partner. They got married. Their, their wife was to produce a legitimate heir, right? That was the only reason most people got married in the Roman Empire, right? Mostly it was like old men and young women, right? It was like, wow. Um, so, but um, like they also had like concubines. That stuff was all this stuff that was for intimacy and pleasure, right? And, and Paul here hits hits on that he said no this is totally different actually as i was like researching for some of this i found this article talking about like um the kind of progression of women's rights throughout history and it said like the new testament christianity like coming like the advent of christianity brought this entirely new like amount of freedom for women in the world right because in in first corinthians 7 you know he says like the, the wife's body belongs to the husband, so they shouldn't, but he also says, the husband's body belongs to the wife, right? No one, people are like, wait, what was that? Right, that people's most response at that time. Actually, John Chrysostom, one early church father, he like told people, he said, if a prostitute comes up to you, you tell them, I can't do anything because this is property of my wife. That like, I, I, I literally, this is not my property. This is my wife's. So maybe, maybe she says, yes, I don't know. Right. Uh, right. But he, he, and, and so like, we see a very different vision of marriage presented here, right. Than than what is standard in the Greco Roman culture. He's saying marriage is meant to be one, uh, a relationship and sex within that marriage is meant to be something that is like in, 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 entombed in commitment and in intimacy. Right, and anything outside of that is like totally outside of God's plan. Right. Um, so, uh, and, and I, I, before I move on to the next section, I just want to point out that there's a lot of like negative commands, like don't do this. Right. Um, the body's not meant for sexuality, but there's for every single one there's a positive command. Right. But the body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Right. And then he goes on. He says, "Do not unite your your members uh, your yourself with a prostitute." But then he says. Um, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him that in like obedience to the Lord in that there is like great blessing. There is like a spiritual communion with God in the midst of that. Right. And, and ultimately his like 
argument here is that like because Christ is one with us, like you wouldn't go and be with a prostitute because then you'd be uniting Christ with that prostitute. That's his ultimate argument, right? Um, but I want I want to get practical. Can we go to the, the next section? So here's here's some of the practical stuff. Um, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So um, I'm going to say a sentence. I want you to fill it in in your mind, okay? Um, I saw a blank, so I fled. I saw a blank, so I fled. What comes to mind? What? I saw a lion. Okay, yes, lion. Anybody else? Snake. Yeah, Whew, me too. Okay, snakes, yes? Pizza, you got problems, man. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> like, we would think of, like, a natural disaster. I saw a tornado, right? I saw a masked man with a chainsaw, right? These are the things we flee from. But Paul tells us we flee from sexual morality, right? And a couple reasons. One, I think he's saying this, and, and, and the rest of the verse, like, implies it also, sexual morality actually hurts you. It will do damage to your physical body, right? Just like a lion would, right? It is also doing damage to you, right? Um, but, but then beyond that, I think this is just practical advice. Paul knows we don't have a lot of strength, right? So he's saying, flee. This is very practical, tangible advice. The, he's saying the goal for, for sexual morality is not to be in the midst of a situation where there's a prostitute and then to be so strong you deal with it. It's not to be 11.30 p.m. at night, you're alone with a computer, and you have the strength to overcome it. That is not the goal. The goal is to not be in that situation at all. Get away from it, right? He knows us. He knows we're weak, right? And so he's, he's, setting, he's setting the, like, the goal at something, something kind of different here. He says flee, and I... And I I want to suggest something also. This isn't directly in the text, but I think it kind of is related to it, is that um, everyone who I know who has ever struggled with sexual immorality, including myself, right? Um, and, and we're talking every... I'm, I'm not just talking about prostitution. I'm talking about like adultery, lust, pornography, like, or even just in your marriage that, you're the, that you are like thinking primarily about yourself when it comes to like sex, right? In any of those things, right? And the Bible tells us all those things are sinful, right? Um, in any of those things, I don't know anyone who has like experienced like massive gain without community, right? Um, and I'd, if you haven't, if, if you're struggling with this stuff and you haven't brought it to community, I, I don't, I don't like condemn you, but I just want to say, man, you are missing out on like such a great tool, Right? Some, like all of us at some point, I would, I would imagine if we're here, we have experienced the great freedom that comes with confession. Man, when you have this big weight and you confess it, oh, that is like one of the best feelings in the world that weight just lifts off your shoulders without even anything really happening except you just like saying it, right? But um, beyond that, like, again, my personal experience, people, experience of like people who I know, if you're really serious about like trying to overcome this sin, I don't, I don't see how you can do it without community, right? Um, and and w- just to add on to that, I would imagine that every single person probably in this room has struggled with some form of sexual morality. So there's there's no, like, there. this isn't, like, something that's, like, so different that, like, it needs to be, like, shamed. That, 
I do think in this passage, it says something interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times in the church, we tend to think of, of sexual sins as like the worst sins. Or we don't, we don't think that, right? But it kind of just like somehow like works itself out that way. But there is no context biblically that sin is a, a worse sin than other sins. This does say, though, that sin is unique. Sin is unique and that it impacts your body in a way that other sins don't. So it has consequences that maybe some other sins don't have, right? It can cause havoc in relationships and in, in the way that you like see things, right? Remember, whoever sins becomes a slave to sin. You can be mastered by this thing, right? It can change how you think. But sexual sin is no different from other sin because all sin is done against God, right? And so sin done against God, that that is ultimately like the, the biggest gravity of the sin. But there is something unique about it in that sense, right? Um, so, uh, again, I would wager that the vast majority of us have struggled with some form of sexual sin at some point in our lives, and, and uh, some of us still do. Um, but in this, in this passage, I think that God gives us, like, clarity as to his desires regarding sex. He gives us confidence um, that he wants to work in us, right? He gives us warnings and, uh, uh, if we don't. He gives us a framework for how to understand sex rightly. And then he also gives us a strategy for practically how to deal with it. And so I think there's a lot of hope in this passage, right, of how to deal with things and that there, there can be growth. So, but I want to I get the last section because I nerdily really like this last section a lot too. Um, can you go to the next one? I might have clicked something. Sorry. If I, um, so the next section, the, the last verse, verse 19, um, it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Notice, um, you know, he kind of hints at a number of different kind of like, excuse me, thoughts regarding sexual morality. But uh, earlier and in here, the kind of pinnacle of the passage, he's saying the, you know, he, he could say don't have sex because you like, it could get a disease or something, or don't have sex because it could hurt your marriage. Don't have sex because, um, you know, it could hurt your like business. Problem. He could say all kinds of things, but ultimately his argument is an identity, our identity as slaves to God, right? That is the ultimate argument for sexual morality is that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Can you go to the next slide? I like this. I really like this quote. There's this book called you are not your own, um, that I, that I read recently, um, it was a, a Mike, Mike Ward reference or, or suggestion. I really liked it. So he said, when you choose to follow God's laws out of personal preference, you will eventually discover a breaking point where your desire, right, for experiences or self-expression comes up against an ethical law of Christ, right? And at that moment, you can choose to do one of three things. You can uh, abandon Christianity, say, oh, well, that's like, that's old school, right? They used to do that, right? You can say it's antiquated lifestyle. You can find a more inclusive style of Christianity, right? Something that will accept what your preferences are, or you can accept that Christianity was never meant to be a lifestyle. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, you can deny your desire. Because only if you really belong to someone else does that make any sense, right? If you belong to yourself, then it's foolish. And sometimes, and our culture says, it's abusive to deny your own, your own desires. That's what our culture says about like most things with regards to sex. That the, the Christian church, they're really like um, repressive sexually, Right? Um, they're, they're foolish. They're like unwise. They're following these old ways, right? But if you are not your own, that's the only way it makes sense, right? And, 
And I, I just want to run with that idea for a second. You know, the, um, the world says that it's my body and I can do what I want. Christians say um, that it's his body. And, and as Christians, we must say it's his body and I do what he wants, right? Um, and the idea that we are slaves to God, that like we are bond servants we, like, we, uh, to God, it's, it's not a popular one, right? Um, I would imagine that like submission to, to God, like to submission to anyone is one of the, the primary reasons people in our culture reject Christianity, right? Submitting to his moral law, submitting to, to like being belonging, having to do what someone else says, right? Um, and the idea of submitting to God, again, it's really crazy to the modern mind because the modern, most people in modern society are very distrustful of authority for very good reason, actually. For the last few hundred years, we have seen time after time after time of people being abused by authority, right? In the church, in, in any, any large institution, right? Churches, civic institutions, governments, they, they're all concerned with themselves. And so they abuse their members, right? At different times, right? And I, I, it's not like, doesn't have to, well, I'm going to go there. Um, but like, and so people's natural thought is if, 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 religions and stuff or, or some kind of institution somebody in there could abuse me because they're really after what's good for them the only perfect per person that i can trust is myself because i know it's best for me right and so i'm the only person i can trust that's what that's what the modern mind says and so they're very skeptical of authority but the problem is we are not worthy of trust right we we are mastered by the things that we try to pursue after right and so um, I, and I, I think that this body is full of people, right, that have trusted themselves, and we've seen where that leads, right? We've seen the path that that goes down. We've been mastered by things. We've seen where that leads, and we like say we don't want that, right? Um, Billy Graham he 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 says that Satan fails to speak of the remorse, the futility the loneliness and the spiritual devastation that go hand in hand with sexual morality, right? Um, our, our, our culture at large is built on the opposite of this, right? Um, did I have another slide? I can't remember. No, okay, good. Uh, our culture is built on this idea that we are our own. That is, that is a foundational piece of our culture. Like all the isms, whether it's, consumerism and capitalism we're trying to get as much stuff for ourselves to make ourselves happy every time we walk into a store there's an ad that says buy this one thing and you'll be happy right um we're trying to like make our own lives whether it's um whether it's relativism i'm going to decide for myself what is wrong what is right what is good what is bad um whether it's um individualism like i i'm looking out for myself distinct from other people, all these isms, those are all built on this idea that, that, that we are our own. But as believers, we're called to, to like live distinct lives, right? And, 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 we, we, and the, the problem is, if you take that idea of I am my own and you take it to its like logical conclusion, right? Then you see all the things that we see in society like today in our culture. You see people who are like, Again, if, if you are your own, then you have to determine your own meaning. And so people find all kinds of wacky meanings, right? Or you have to, like, people naturally, God put a desire in us to be special and unique, right? 
And if we are our own, then we have to do that ourselves. So you see people constantly working all the time, trying to climb the ladder to be the very best or posting pictures on Instagram all the time so that we can get affirmation from other people. Or like our, our culture is, is, is filled with people trying to find meaning, right? But there is like a great blessedness in not being our own, right? Because we are not constantly trying to find that. We, there's peace and there's freedom in the midst of submitting to God. Not to mention that like, Seek first the kingdom and these things will be added. If we want to have like meaning in our lives, if we want to be unique, if we want to have like ultimate purpose, if we seek after God, we get all that stuff, right? Whereas the world seeks after that stuff and they lose it all, right? Um, and and this, this idea, Christians have known this from the beginning, right? If you can go to the next slide. I love uh, this, this. This is like a liturgy that was written around the time of the Protestant Reformation in the Heidelberg Confessional. It says, it's kind of in a question answer format. It says, what is our only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I love, I love that, right? If we're going back to, to the beginning where it says, what do you really want, right? I, I, do you really want to not be your own, right? And I think for some of us, again, the answer is like some percentage of different things within our hearts, right? I mean, it just reveals kind of where we're at. But, but ultimately, like what blessedness in, in not being our own, in, in God being the one who determines this stuff, right? And so um, if you can go to the, the, the next slide. So I don't really have, I try to come up with good application points and they were just kind of lame. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I'm giving you homework. Okay, uh, and so I would I want to encourage you to maybe you can pick one or two, um, but to to really reflect because if I'm if I like just like share this stuff and and we like oh like, that was interesting and then we go home like who cares right but if if this can like plant a seed in us that I mean if we really believe that God's word doesn't come back void right it comes back fruitful I I hope that like Paul's well, I hope I hope, I hope that this like can do something. So I, I, I'd like us to one maybe like ask these questions of ourselves, pick one or two, say like maybe talk talk with your family, and then and then talk with them with your community potentially. Like, man, what what are the things I really want? What what is my vision of the good life? Right? Is it lining up with with God's kingdom? If not, like where is that? Why? What's going on there? Where's the disconnect? Right? Um, with regards to like um, being mastered, what, how are my daily habits, rituals, the thing I do every day, how are they influencing me, right? Are they mastering me? Are they, are they turning me towards Christ? Um, or are they like distracting me and making my heart love other things, right? Three, um, who am I inviting into my life regarding sexual sin? Who am I bringing in? Even, even if it's not something that you're like struggling with in a really present way, like on a daily basis, I think having someone who you set up some kind of like consistent time where every month, every week, every, every whatever, you just like kind of like check up and see how people are doing. And this is just, we're just, we're products of our culture and our culture um, is, is highly sexualized, right? And so this is an issue that is faced in our, in our lives, right? Um, and so I just want to encourage people to do that. And then last, um, do I love submitting to God's rule? Like, even does that phrase kind of like grate you the wrong way, even just hearing that? Like, do I, do I find delight 
in even when I don't understand submitting to God? Or is that something that's really hard for me, right? Why? Why not? Um, and, and so anyways, I just I always hope that we can like engage with these questions and, and engage with what I believe it's, it's, it's similar like arguments that Paul gave to the church in Corinth to disciple them, to take them deeper into communion with God and deeper into communion with one another. So let me, let me pray for us and um, we'll be done. Jesus, um, God, we want, we want what you want, Lord. Um, we want our lives to be like fully about you. And we don't always know how to do that, God. Um, God, I know that as I ask myself these questions, I found, I found myself wanting, Lord. Um, and so, Jesus, I ask that you would come and shine your light in these places in our lives, Lord, that you would, um, you would minister to us, Jesus, that you would drive us deeper into communion with you, God. We know that if the Corinthian church could do it, then, then we, we, we're, we're no better than them, Lord. Um, God, I ask that you would give us um, wisdom and strength to, to interact with these healthily, Lord, that you would um, give us courage to um, bring this before community, to be vulnerable, Lord. Um, and, and in that submission, God, of, of, of bringing this before community, God, that you would um, see that and that you would, you would work in our lives, that you would move, God. We don't, we don't even know how to, like, to to bring ourselves to love you more, Jesus. But, but we confess that, and we confess that we want it. Um, we ask that as a body, you would make us more like you, more like your people in the world. God, we love your word. I ask that you would bury it deep in our hearts and that it would, it would bear fruit. We love you, Jesus. We praise in your name. Amen.